Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Well, amen. As they say, I uh, endorse that announcement. I'm very proud of our uh, missions emphasis here in the, at the church at Sturkey Hills. I want you to know that every dime out of every dollar that's given here goes toward, we tithe on our offering, and it goes to missions around the world. And uh, so much so, we're so, uh, so ingrained in it that sometimes we send people to a foreign country like for a day. <laughs> Clark, <laughs> Clark went to Honduras and baby Macon decided uh, he wanted to get here. So he came home. And we have a new grandbaby. His name is Macon, and uh, he's doing great. And Kelsey's doing great. Amen. Amen. So see, missions, man, it's, it, it's, it's part of procreation and everything. It's beautiful. And uh, that same team is uh, flying back like right now. They were supposed to be back uh, the day before yesterday, I think it was. Uh, but they had a tropical storm in Miami. We rerouted them through Dallas-Fort Worth and on into Nashville, sent some vehicles to pick them up. We take care of you even when you're out of the country. And so uh, the, the mission emphasis for this month, as Rachel mentioned, One Vision, I've been to Brazil with her. It's an amazing mission. You can trust everything that, that they're doing over there. When we go to Kenya, amazing. So God is good. And missions should be like part of who you are. I want you to understand that uh, if you are a believer, if you're headed to heaven when you die and uh, he's radically changed your eternal destiny, it's because God has a mission mindset. And that is he came to where you are, whispered uh, his love in your direction and offered you eternal hope. So that's what missions is all about. And so today we're in the book of James still, so you can open up your Bible to the book of James or your device. And we've, I, w- I want you to know something, that in the Bible, we have chapters and verses. They, they weren't in there in the original manuscript. They're given to help us kind of navigate through it, to have some addresses so we can remember where things are and identify and help people know how to look up something. But originally it was just in a letter form, and so there weren't many breaks. And so in chapter 3, we finished the last two weeks talking about wisdom. It's a characteristic or trait that's often missing uh, totally and and probably in all of our lives, sometimes it's lacking. And so, but we would argue and say, hey, I've got wisdom. I got it. But we learned last week, James taught us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that there's two kinds of wisdom. There's a hell up wisdom which is uh, he describes as worldly, natural, and demonic. And it's still called wisdom. And often that's what we function in, and we don't even know it. And so James went on and he said, but there's another wisdom. It's a heaven-down wisdom. And a heaven-down wisdom brings uh, peace three times in the closing verse of chapter 3. Three times the word peace. And by the way, when God repeats a word, in a passage, in a verse, we need to pay attention. He's trying to draw us into that. And so he said three times, the heaven down peace brings, a heaven down wisdom brings peace. We also find out that when we operate in heaven down wisdom, we're more pleasing to God. We're more useful to God. We're more beneficial and blessing to others. And the beautiful thing is it's available to all of us. All we have to do is ask. And so it's cool. But then something changes. You see, he finishes on a good note, but then he wants to drive this point home that most often we don't operate in peace. Sometimes we allow our personal ambition, goals, and desires to interrupt the beauty that God has for our life. And so when that happens, peace leaves the building. Because when we're not satisfied on the inside, the world knows it on the outside. And so it doesn't look like peace when we have this discontent inside of us, this missing link, this missing peace inside of us. It begins to show up on the outside and it doesn't show up as peace. And so James is going to address that today. Now, it's not a new thing. Let me me ask you this. Has anybody in here been involved, maybe just, let's just say, open it up, say this week, in a quarrel, a fuss, or a fight? Anybody have a quarrel, a fuss, or a fight? Three of us, okay. Next week, I'm preaching on lying. Okay, let me, let me dial in a little bit. Anybody have a fuss or disagreement with your wife or husband this week? Okay, a little bit more transparent. Students, did y'all have any fusses or dis, 
some complaints or com- difficulties with your parents this week? Walker, no, <laughs> no. Willow did though, didn't she? What about you and Willow? Do y'all ever disagree? Never. Never. Yeah, you lie next week. You be sure and be here. Uh, the truth is we got them. We fuss and we fight and we quarrel. You know it's true. Ain't no need denying it. Don't look now, but the person next to you loves to quarrel and fight. Okay? Now, in, in James chapter 3, James asked this question. He says, uh, who among you has wisdom and understanding? He doesn't ask that in James chapter 4 because he knows we all got it. He's, his question is going to be, where does it come from? And, and so that it, it's been around a long time. We have this thing where we don't want to get along. And he's talking to church folk, brothers and sisters in Christ, Christians, people who know Jesus, people who have been adopted into God's forever family. That's who he's talking to. He's talking to us. And he knows us because the Holy Spirit is inspiring him to write. And the Holy Spirit is God. And he knows us, everything about us, all of our intricacies, all of our habits, all of our nature. Paul addressed the same thing in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but instead as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you milk and not solid food, for you were not ready. In fact, you're still not ready. You're still influenced by the flesh since, since there's jealousy and dissension among you. You're not influenced by the flesh and behaving like unregenerate people. Paul addressed it. Paul addressed it in Galatians. He says, if you continually bite and devour, he's talking to church people. He says, if you continually bite and devour one another, beware that you're not consumed. Have you ever been to a church like that? I mean, it's like going down to the shelter and they have a bunch of wild dogs down there, you know? Some of those hang out at the church. Paul had them and we have them sometimes. And sometimes it's us. And so he goes on. This one's good in Philippians 4.2. Paul addresses, yeah, yeah, among the sisterhood. Philippians 4.2, he says, Euodia and Sentiki, ladies, please agree in the Lord. I don't know if they're disagreeing about which one had the worst name or what, but they're fussing and yeah, yeah. And Paul says, please, ladies, cut it out. Now, I know there ain't no ladies up in here that do that, but they did in the, old, in the early church. And so the church has always been guilty of instead of focusing on what mattered most, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ presented to a lost and dying world, we become distracted and we become focused on what matters to me most. I'm a Christian, and so now everything that matters to me is what's most important. And I'm going to see to it that everybody else dives in and grabs hold of my personal agenda. It's been going on. We, Paul had to address circumcision. Paul had to address spiritual gifts. So if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have it. Paul had to address what money, uh, how we use our money, whether we give the right amount of money. Paul had to address um, what we eat and what we drink. They're squabbling about everything. Aren't you glad we moved beyond that? Amen. Yeah, we live in the same church as 2,000 years ago. And so Paul's going to chime in today. And let us know where it all comes from. Now, before that, if I ask you, do you know where all the fights come from? I know where it comes from. Him. (laughs) You know, the one next to you. I know where it comes from, guys. Her. I know where it comes from, them. James chimes in with a whole different story. A story that we all need to hear. The title of the message on the back of your life guide is this. Why are we fighting? Why are we fighting, Christians? Why do we fight with our spouse? Why do we fight with our children? Why do we fight with our parents? Why do we fight with our teammates? Why do we fight with our neighbor? Why do we fight with our brothers and sisters right here in the church of Jesus Christ? You want to know why? James, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is going to enlighten us all. So James chapter 4, point number one is the reason we fight is because of the problem on the inside. The problem on the inside. Listen what he says in verse one and the first part of verse two. He says, where do the conflicts and where do the quarrels among you come from? He doesn't say like wisdom, any among you have them. 
He said, I know you got them. So where did they come from? He goes on in verse, uh, verse two, he says, uh, second part of verse one, he says, is it not from this? In other words, this is where it comes from. This is the origin of our fights and our quarrels, most all of them, from the passions that battle inside you. He goes on in verse two, he says, you desire, you do not have, so you murder. You envy, you cannot obtain, you quarrel and fight. So James has just seamlessly moved from verse 18 of chapter three, peace, peace, and more peace, to why is everybody fighting? He's gonna change gears all together, move in a completely different direction. Peace, peace, and more peace came from what? A heaven down wisdom. Now he's gonna jump back to the other side. And it is that when we live in the world, he says, we have this problem. See, he says it's from the passion that some translations, your translation may say that wages war in your members. Here it is. The word passions, he says, it's from your passion. Look at the person next to you and say, you got passion. Now, I didn't say it to say it like that. I say y'all are getting all romantic up here on the front row. Passion, big boy. Yes, I, I heard her say it to you right there. If she didn't, she was thinking it. Okay. That's, I, I, when we think of passion, that's what we think of. Amen. That's not what he's saying. The word passion in the Greek is hedone. Hedon. We get our word hedonism. You know what hedonism is? <laughs> it's America. Hedonism is a pursuit of personal gratification to satisfy our personal desires at all cost. That's what hedonism is. Man, we live in that world. We got people marching around calling it Pride Emphasis Month or whatever it is, glorying in their shame. Okay, we're proud of it, right? Personal gratification. The expression, if it feels good, do it, comes from the idea of hey, da, nay. James says, you want to know why you fight and quarrel with your friends, with your family, with your brothers and sisters in Christ? You want to know why you do it? Because you got this thing called hey, da, nay, deep inside you, deep inside of you. And he said, it wages war against your members, not the members in the church, the members of you. It comes out in your hands, in your feet, in your mouth, your expressions, your countenance, your disposition, your activities and actions. Hey, Donna, inner passion to satisfy yourself on the inside. Listen, the quarrels and the fights among you, it's not the other person. James says, this is an inside job. This is an inside job. And he says, and, and, when, and when hedonism, when hedone, the passions within you rise up and it becomes all about you satisfying you on the inside, it affects everything. And so how do we respond? In verse 2, he says, you desire, you do not have, so you murder. <laughs> you say, well, James, I don't know who James is talking about, but you can go down to the police station, pull my record. I have never killed anybody. You know, in the Old Testament, we have laws. And some people think, oh, we don't have to live under the commandments because we're under the new covenant. We're under grace. Jesus never came to negate, deny, or undo the law. He fulfilled it and he amplified it. He did? Let me give you an example. The Old Testament law says, thou shalt not kill. Check that box, I've never killed anybody. Jesus said, if you've looked at somebody with hate in your heart, you've already committed murder. Uh-oh, got me. Now, I know you've never put the stink eye on somebody. They say something you don't like, you. I'm a Christian baptized in lemon juice and onions. I can look like this if I want to. Where your whole face compresses into a small circle, okay? And the de definition of the circle, ugly and hateful, right? That's what, that's what he's saying. He says, you don't get what you want, so you just hate, you, you're disappointed, you, you, you adopt this idea that this is my world and I'm letting you suck up air that's really mine. And, and your job is to help me find happiness, satisfaction, gratification, and contentment on the inside. And if you don't help me, you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem where the whole world begins to revolve 
around you. Now, I know it's none of, nobody in here, but do you know somebody like that? Maybe at work. Maybe the neighbor. It's the neighbor, isn't it? You got that neighbor? Yeah. We know who it is, right? And, and James is saying, he says, you murder. He says, you don't have, so you murder. He says, you envy. You just can't seem to get what it is you think you need. So you quarrel and fight. And all of it comes from an inner hate-on-a passion, a personal desire for gratification. And so when you read this, it kind of sounds like marriage counseling, honestly. That's, that's what it sounds like. But it's in, it, it permeates every part of our life. It's everywhere. And, and so we have to be careful when we, when we live our lives because it comes from the inside. James don't mess around about the root of the problem in most of our life is not the other person. It's me. It's self. You remember what he said about temptation? Because we like to do like Eve and Adam and say, you know, well, because of that, because of that, that's why I sinned. And James nailed that. He says in James 1, each one is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own Desires, that's an inner job, inside job too. He says, then when, when desire conceives, it gives birth to sin. And when it's full grown, it gives birth to death. So, so let's just do a self-evaluation. Uh, am I in conflict and or controversy on a regular basis? Is it, a, is, is it disagreement after disagreement after disagreement? I was thinking about this for me may not be true for you. I was thinking about all of the disagreements I've had, all of the quarrels I've had, all of the fights I've had my whole life, and something incredible dawned on me. The common denominator of every one of them, huh, it was me all the time. I've had them with different people, different seasons, different subject matters, and the number one common denominator looks at me in the morning when I brush my teeth. Now, I know it's not true for you. <laughs> it's absolutely true for you. Every, every argument, quarrel, fight you've ever been in, disagreement, there's a common denominator, and the common denominator looks very much like you. James says the problem's on the inside. Now, you may be thinking, yeah, I, that's true. I have been in a lot of quarrels and fights and fusses, and, and I was the common denominator. But see, James... And Pastor Joel, what you don't understand is in most of those, <laughs> I was right. <laughs> to which James would say, boom, you just proved my point. You have a desire for personal gratification about always being right. So we can't run from it. We can't hide from it. It's a part of our DNA. It's a part of who we are. So what does it look like at church? Sunday morning comes, and, and we're going to church. <laughs> I remember when our girls were little. We don't really fight much anymore on the way to church because we drive different cars. And, uh, and I come to the early service every week. And, 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 and so, but I remember when our girls were little, and, man, they would, it would just be one thing after another. I was usually just the driver. That's a lie, too. I was part of it. And so we would have this battle, you know, you know, no cuss words that I remember, no, no, no exchanging of fists or anything, just, just yeah, yeah, like Euodia and Sintiki. And, and, and so we would get to church, and you know something happened when we got out of the car. Everything changed, man. We're coming in like butterflies. We're so happy, we're just soaring. Smile on the, oh, yeah, praise Jesus, glad to be in the house of the Lord. Right? I know you don't do that, but we did that, okay? So what we do sometimes is we have this inner discontentment, this hate on a, a passion, a desire for personal gratification that's unmet. And so we take it out on other people. That's what he says, you quarrel and you fight, okay? So we show up at church, and rather than bringing to church joy, that would be good to bring to church. Everybody smile real big, just smile. First time I've seen it all morning, thank you, I feel better. We see joy, maybe some happiness because we're pursuing holiness. And maybe get our worship on. Yeah, we're going to worship today. Amen? Uh, maybe I'm hungry for the Word of God. I want to hear what God has to say to me today. You know, uh, maybe I want a fresh encounter with the 
Holy Spirit of God just to come down and kind of touch me and remind me how much he loves me. Uh, Maybe this, maybe that. But that's not what we bring to church most of the time. We bring a whole different set of luggage. We bring a different bag, and in this bag, we've got discontentment and frustration and unmet needs and an inner desire for something that has not been met and disappointment and anger and so we bring it to church instead and what we want to do rather than share the joy the peace the happiness the worship the pursuit of God we want to share what's in our bag we want to share the discontentment the frustration the disappointment and the anger So what we do is we begin to open up our bag and share it around, looking for a listening ear that we can tether it to. Oh, you've got the same discontentment and frustration. Bam. Now we're beginning to sow seeds of discord within the church. And it all began because of Hedane, a personal passion to satisfy self. And so fights and quarrels do emerge I am happy to say this is a very happy church. There's not a lot of quarrels and fights. Well, not around me, I guess. You know, I would bark back, I guess, but I I don't get a lot of it, and and you probably aren't much of a part of it. But in some churches, it can be kind of brutal sometimes, you know? This one person said this, to dwell above with the saints in love, mm, that will be glory. But to live below with some of the saints I know, that's a whole different story. You know, this ought to be a little bit of heaven because this is heaven dwellers ultimately practicing for an eternity with Jesus. But sometimes it doesn't look like that. You see, the heart of the problem is a problem of the heart. And it's on the inside. And you can't fix an inner problem by yourself, which leads me to the second point of why we're fighting. First of all, because of the problem on the inside. Secondly, because we refuse or ignore the solution from the outside. Here's what James says as he goes on in verse 2 and 3. He says, you don't have simply because you don't ask God. He says, you ask, you do not receive because you ask wrongly. So you can spend it on your own hedone, passion or personal gratification. He says, he says, listen, the reason most of you have discontentment and unhappiness is because you're trying to find it on your own. You're trying to drive a square peg in a round hole. You're trying to fix yourself and satisfy the emptiness of part of your heart. But the problem is you can't change your heart. I know people that I'd like to change. Mm, I'd like to change. I can't change them. Kendra sometimes would like to change me. She can't change me. You have people in your life, you can't change them. The only thing that can change your heart is God. You see, you can't put a stent in or change your valve or any of that. It takes a heart transplant. In Scripture, it refers to it like this. God takes out your stony heart. And puts in a heart of flesh, a heart that's alive and tender and compassionate that beats for God. And that's an outside source. So you see, the reason we fight is we ignore the outside source and we choose to do things on our own. James says, we just never ask, meaning we want to handle this ourselves. Sometimes we take the philosophy that God working with me will generate peace and contentment, happiness and gratification. That's a lie. That's a lie. God doesn't work, want to work with you. The truth is God working for me, in me, and through me will bring peace and contentment, gratification, and satisfaction. You see, God doesn't need our help. So what we do is we 
rather than ask God about the things that bother us most, the, the greatest desires we have, we, we just don't ask God. We can handle this ourselves. Or maybe if we do, we ask him, but we want to hang on to it. Have you ever asked God to fix something, but you never really let go of it? And you say, thank you, God, for hearing my prayer. And we go to work. Thanks for, I know, I trust you. I trust you. I know you're going to handle this. And as soon as we amen him, we go to work trying to fix our own problem. It's kind of like maybe you've taken your car to the shop before the garage. There's a sign up there that says, mechanic, $50 an hour. If you watch, $100 an hour. If you help, $250 an hour. You see, he don't need your help. And God doesn't need your help. God just needs you to ask. And James says the reason we have most of our unsatisfied desires, which are hedonistic, is because we haven't placed our faith in the one true source, which is God, who will meet our every need. Now, you may say, well, pastor... Or James, since James is the one that said this. Or Holy Spirit, who told James to say this. I do ask. I did ask. And he didn't answer my prayer. Not true. He answered your prayer. But sometimes when God's answer doesn't look like our preconceived answer, it seems like God didn't answer God's answers never have to align with our preconceived ideas. He's God. <laughs> End of story. He's God. He can do whatever he wants to, however he wants to, whenever he wants to, because this whole thing is his, and our life is his. But I want you to know, sometimes, I will go on to say, all the time, God's answer is better than our answer. And sometimes that hurts. Sometimes that's a difficult truth. But, but God is about what is best for you. He says in verse 3, you say, I did ask. James said, okay, I'll give you that. He says, but, he says in verse 3, you ask, but you didn't receive. It didn't look like you had an answer. Why? Because you ask wrongly. Now, what does that even mean? The word wrongly is the Greek word kakos, and it means to be ill-hearted. In other words, for your heart to be a little sick, to be impaired, to not be aligned with the will and the perfection of God's will. And, and so when we ask, but our heart's a little sick, we're not fully lined up with God, the answer doesn't look like ours, and so it seems like we didn't receive what it was we asked for. So, so listen. Let's just suppose for just a minute, just suppose, we're going to pretend here, that God is like really good at being God. Just pretend. Like he's really good at being God. Much better than we would ever be. And, and then let's just suppose for a minute that he knows tomorrow as intricately as he knows yesterday. And he knows a billion years from now as precisely as he knows a billion years ago. Let's just suppose that he does that. And now, in all of that coolness, let's just imagine for a second, suppose that that same God we're talking about loves you more than you even understand the word love. So much that he would come from heaven, wrap himself in skin, spread his arms out, and die on a cross in your place. Let's just suppose he did that. Well, the truth is, all of that is factually true. We would all agree with that. Then doesn't it make sense that that same God would want nothing but what's best for you? And even when our heart is sick and we ask wrongly, even when we fail to ask, he's always at work for his personal glory and for your ultimate good. And when we get that, we just keep stomping through it. We just hold our heads up and keep pressing on and say, God, that don't look like the one I had. And I had a good answer for that one. I had it figured out pretty stinking good. But you sent something else. So here's what I'm going to do. The fact that you're good at being God. The fact that you know yesterday as well as uh, tomorrow as well as yesterday. The fact that I know you love me because you live within me. I'm just going to faith it. 
I'm going to trust you. I'm going to hold my head up and let you use this for your glory and for my good. Now, when we understand that, it changes the way we pray and it changes the way we live in adversity. He goes on, he says, this is what it looks like when you have a sick heart. He says, you're asking so you can spend it on your passions. Your desire is to depaneo, to spend or squander it on your own personal hedone passions. You know what that means? You know what that's a picture of? The prodigal son. You remember the story? The prodigal son goes to his dad, and there's two sons, and, 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 and there's son number two probably, and he goes, Dad, I'm, I'm, I don't like your plan. I want what's mine. I want my inheritance. He takes his inheritance. His dad says, sure, son, I'll give it to you. I'd rather you not go, but I'm going to give it to you. He gives it to him. He goes, and the Bible says he squandered it. He spent it upon his own passion. And then he finds himself in a pigsty, eating the scraps with the hogs. And it dawns on him. My dad has slaves who have a better life than this. I could just go back to him. And he picks himself up and he goes back to him. James says the reason often we don't have what it is we ask for, God knows the future and he knows we'll squander it and it won't be a blessing, it'll be a burden to you and to those around you. Our prayers have to be motivated in the glory of God that Jesus is lifted up and our prayers have to be pure and holy and we have to trust God with whatever the answer is. And God looks at how, we, how we've lived our life and he determines at what level he can trust us with the answers that we have chosen. So we find out there's two reasons already of why we're fighting. One is that there's a problem on the inside. Two is we ignore the solution from the outside. Number three is we haven't made the choice of the right side. We haven't made the choice of the right side. Listen to what he says in, in, in verse four. Now, I'm just going to hurt your feelings, but I've got to tell you what James said. And James probably wouldn't have said it because he didn't want to hurt your feelings, but the Holy Spirit told him to say. This is how he introduced the next line to the Christian church. Adulterers. Don't that feel good? Uh, two-timers. You bunch of two-timers. <laughs> it feels good, don't it? Isn't it? That's a proud moment for us, isn't it? That's what we're called. Listen to what he says. He says, adulterers. Do you not know that friendship with the world means hostility with God? So whoever decides to be the world's friend makes himself God's enemy. Now, that's some heavy stuff. He says, why? You want to know why you're fighting? Because you haven't chosen the right side. You see, there's two sides of this equation. There's hell up wisdom and heaven down wisdom. There's good, there's evil, there's this world, and there's the kingdom of God. And he says, whoever wants to be a friend, a phileia, a brotherly friend, meaning to have a common agenda, a common goal, a common objective, and a common desire, if you want to be common with the world, you just put up your dukes to God. You just drew a line in the sand with the God who loves you. He's painting a picture of most of the Christian community who live their life like this. This foot chasing after God. Then the world rattles its cage and this foot chasing after the world. And then God reminds us about how much he loves this foot. And if you notice, our feet just get further and further apart. You, you see, as a Christian, we've got a conviction. We never want to just jump over into the devil's world, which is the cosmos in the Greek, which is the embellishments and the attractive nature of the creative order. We, ne we know it looks good, but I know just because it looks good don't mean it is good. I, I'm not abandoning this side to jump on that side. So what we do is we live a life where we straddle the fence. And when we do, we're no good in the world. We don't enjoy the world, and we're no good to God, and we don't enjoy God. And the devil smiles at it all.
James is saying, if you are a phileo, if you're a friend with the world, you are not a friend of God. You're an enemy of God. Those are hard words. And sometimes in our Christian journey, we benefit most from hard truth. You know? And, I, and, and God puts this on me weeks at a time. I mean, he just dumps it on me and slaps me around with it. And so when I show up on Sunday, I got to share the love. And sometimes it's just good to know the whole counsel of God. The reality that straddling the fence is never a win. That we put ourselves in a position where we are enemies of God. And he says, you are adulterers. That word is a spiritual word. You see, in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was the bride of God. In the New Testament, the church is the bride of Christ. We will go to heaven and be married to our groom, to our husband, Jesus. I don't understand all that, but I'm telling you, that's what Scripture says. We are the bride. And when we walk away from our bride, we commit spiritual adultery against God. Chris Christofferson, young people, he's an old guy. You probably never heard of him. If you know who Chris Christofferson is, raise your hand. That's our senior adults. That's most of us old people, okay? He was an actor. He wasn't very good. He was a singer. He wasn't very good at that either. But he was very, very popular. And he did write some cool songs. In one of his songs called The Pilgrim, he describes the pilgrim with these words. He's a walking contradiction, partly truth, but partly fiction. That's what our Christian journey looks like very often a walking contradiction partly truth and partly fiction Jesus says we got to pick James says we've got to pick the right side we will either be on team world team cosmos or we will be on team Jesus there's our options. There's no in-between, no middle ground. I'm going to date myself. When I was in high school as a freshman, that would have been about 1976. You go to a basketball game on Friday night, and the girls would play first. The girls had six people on the court at a time, not five. Three of those girls played defense, and three of those girls played offense. And on one end, if you were playing defense, that's what you played. You did not play offense and defense. So if you were on defense, you were playing against the three offensive girls from the other team. And you would fight, try to keep them from scoring, and, and they would pull the rebound down, and they would take off like a bandit. They stole the ball, they'd, and they'd get to the half-court line, they'd have to throw on the brakes. And they'd throw the ball to the other half. On the other half were the three offensive players. And they'd try to score, and it was divided. Anybody remember that? Yeah, four of us. So the point of that is this. Those players were either offense or they were defense. They were not both. And James is saying, you're either on Team Cosmos or you're on Team Jesus. Now, here's the question. This past week, first week of June, would you say you were mostly Team Jesus or mostly Team Cosmos? Would you say... I was all team Jesus. Or would you say, I was all team cosmos. James says, you got to make the right choice or you'll never stop fighting and quarreling and being discontent in your own heart because there's always a contradiction. James chapter 4 verse 4 said, do not befriend the world. James chapter 127, do not be polluted by the world. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world. Romans 12.2, do not conform to the world. 1 Corinthians 11.32, do not be uh, condemned with the world. 1 Thessalonians, don't be left behind with the world. 1 John 2.15 says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Because all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the arrogance produced by material possessions is not from the Father, but it's from the world. 
2 Timothy 3 says, but understand this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, savage, opposed to what is good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, loving pleasure rather than loving God. They will maintain the outward appearance of religion, but will have repudiated its power and so avoid people like these. That reminds you of the world we live in or what? So we find out, why do we fight? Why are we fighting? Because there's a problem on the inside. We ignore the solution on the outside. We haven't made the choice of the right side. And number four, what do we do so we can stop fighting tomorrow? We realize the one who comes alongside. There's one who comes alongside us right where we are. So a little question I asked a minute ago about where you are in terms of Team Jesus and Team Cosmos. Here's the beauty of it. God still will take you back. God will still let you be on Team Jesus. You didn't get kicked off the team just because you played for the other team a few games. You're still on his roster He saved you. He adopted you. He is in covenant with you. Verse 5, so sweet. James says, so do you think Scripture means nothing? Pause. (laughs) That's a rhetorical question. Scripture always means much. But do you think scripture means nothing when it says the spirit of God caused to live within us, in us, an envious yearning? He says, when God adopted you, he sealed you with his spirit of promise. This Holy Spirit, he marked you. The devil sees the mark. You can't see it. But the devil sees it. God sees it. And with that mark and with that indwelling, he placed a yearning for you. And so when you're living for Team Cosmos and you're, you realize it, you're like, I am not what God wants me to be. I've squandered what he's given me. I'm pursuing my personal hedone, passionate ways. Why do we know that? Because he placed a moral compass in us, a jealousy, a yearning. The Holy Spirit's in you saying, hey, come back. Come back. There's nothing there for you. I have everything you'll ever need in my hand. And my hands are open towards you. Just come back. And then we listen to self and we listen to the devil and we say, I, just can't, I can't go back. I've, I've gone too far. Verse 6 comes in. James says, oh, really? He says, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It's like we're the prodigal. And we're in the pigsty and we're eating corn cobs and whatever. And we realize my father still loves me, I know. And he's, he, he can let me be a slave. And humbly, we turn, we repent. We turn. And when we turn, we realize we're not that far. He followed us. He's standing at the pigsty just waiting for us to look to him. And he simply says, hey, won't you come home? And we go home. And when we get there, he throws a party because you came home. I'm telling you, you can search the whole world over 
Look under every bush, behind every tree, underneath every rock. You will not find a more beautiful story than how much God loves you the same on your worst and on your best days. And all he's looking for is humility. That place where we realize it's not about me, it's about God. Listen, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Just thinking of yourself less often. Thinking about God and others more. That's humility. Humility changes boasting to testimony. Boasting might be like when I was... 20, to 20 years old, I was at Tennessee Tech, and I decided I'm going to get out of college, and I need a beautiful wife that's going to be with me for the rest of my life and be the mother of my kids. And, and I went and met Kendra at the breakfast that morning at Tennessee Tech, and I charmed her, and she married me. That's boasting. Humility says I was a 20-year-old dummy at Tennessee Tech, wayward, rebellious, not living for Jesus, but I did pray that God would send me a beautiful wife, and he found a beautiful young girl who had low expectations, and he sent her into my life. You see the difference? Same story, but a different perspective. Humility is where it all begins. God, he says, gives grace to the humble. You know why he says that? Because the prideful need no grace. Sometimes we just need a good dose of humility. An awareness that God still love, is madly in love with us and he wants what's best for our life. Now, we're finished right here. What is this thing called Grace. John 1.16 says, for of his fullness we have received grace upon grace. Grace is unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. And it's endless. You can't outsin grace. You can't outrun discipline, but you can't out sin, grace. We just keep going back. I need some more grace. I need some more grace. Humble, humble hearted. I need more grace. And he bestows it upon us. Because Romans 5.20 says, where sin abounds, in other words, where there's a lot of sin, grace overflowed. It just washes it away. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, and as he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for power is perfected in weakness. It's sufficient, always sufficient, enough. God has made a way for you and for me to live in peace with each other. But it begins when we find peace within us. And the only place we'll find that peace is when we find peace with our maker. Amen? That's the message for today. There's a God who loves you. And he is offering godly heaven down wisdom to you. And with it will come peace and satisfaction and contentment in the depth of your soul. And when you get that, it will change your relationship with God. And it will permeate the rest of your life and change your relationship with every person you come in contact with. I want you to bow your heads this morning and close your eyes. And maybe this morning, you realize for the very first time that the reason you don't have peace is simply because you don't have God in your life. I want you to know he's extending himself in your direction. You simply receive his gift of love through his son Jesus into your life 
You can do that today. It begins with that word humility, where we just say, God, I'm a wreck. My life is a wreck. And for some reason, I feel your Holy Spirit inviting me into the family. And on this day, I didn't really come here for this, but I want to leave here with this. I want you to come into my life and fix what I can't fix myself, and that's all of me. Forgive my sin, and I know I'm a sinner. Send your Holy Spirit into my life. Help me live for you from this day forward. God, I thank you for hearing my prayer. I thank you for saving me on this day. Now, many of us in here have already prayed that prayer. This might be a day where you simply say, God, I have made myself a friend of the world and didn't even know I was setting myself up as an enemy of yours. I repent of that. Help me place both feet on the same side of the fence. I want to choose you from this day forward. Help me live for you so that I can live a world in a world of peace because that's what I bring to the world. Father, I thank you this day for your word, your hard word. I thank you for, for what James wrote to us, knowing that we need it. But God, I thank you for revealing it to us on the inside. Help us take it and not just pitch it out, but let it sink in that we would live more pleasing and more peaceful before you. Thank you for being the God of grace. Thank you for being the God of multiple chances. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.